I'm excited. We are in a, a series right now that we've been in for a couple of weeks called Community. We're looking at the, the life of the church. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know that we take a topic and we, we spend some weeks on it discussing that topic, going through the Word of God. And we're going through the book of Ephesians because Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, I believe does a tremendous job in explaining to his listeners what the church is, who is the church. And so we've looked at that so far. We've looked at who is the church, what is the church, how, do we, how are we part of this wonderful organization uh, that God created for you and I to be part of, to do great and mighty things. And I know for many of us here, we come from different backgrounds. Maybe we were raised with different concepts about the church. I know for me as a, as a young kid, church wasn't the funnest thing to go to every week, but my parents would make me go. And I just kind of looked at church as a youngster as just something that you would do for an hour once a week and yet you got it off your checklist. You know, it was just like going to church. I'd rather have a root canal than go to church as a, as a kid. I just, I didn't understand the purpose of the church. I was just thought it was some religious thing that you had to go to. But as we've been looking, the church is so much more than just a place you go to. How many of us know now, after a couple of weeks of looking into the scriptures, the church isn't the place. We are the church. The body of Christ, those individuals who have been called out of the world into the wonderful body of Jesus Christ, that is the church. The church is not a building where we come to. It's literally a movement of God. And if you look at the early church on the day of Pentecost, when it was started, when God poured out His Spirit upon those 120 that were just earnestly seeking God for God to do something great in their midst, there were these believers that came together. They believed that Jesus rose from the grave. Many of those actually saw the risen Christ. Christ commissioned them to wait in Jerusalem until they'd been empowered on high before they would set out and embark on this wonderful mission of this message that Jesus was alive. So they're waiting God poured out His Spirit, and all of a sudden this message of Christ poured out from that very room, and it poured out onto the streets to those people that were assembled there on the Feast of Pentecost, and they heard the message from Peter himself, full of the Holy Spirit, and 3,000 people believed upon that message in that early church, and thus began this great movement of God. And so you are part of that movement that started well over two thousand years ago you cannot stop god no matter how hard they've tried or, or or to try to to destroy the word of god or destroy the bible or destroy the movement of god you cannot stop god's holy spirit can go anywhere it can go through a prison wall it can go through communist countries it can go where it's not accepted. You cannot stop the Spirit of God no matter how hard we try. And you are sitting here today and you're part of it. So it's not about coming to a building for an hour and a half once a week. You are part of a much bigger movement that is happening around the world. Thousands of people are being added to the church alone in China weekly. It's just incredible how God is moving around this world. When you go on missions trips, like, like we've gone so many uh, multiple years from our church in Central America, you just see these tremendous moves of God and you see bodies of local believers on every, pretty much every street corner in many Central American countries. And it's just a, amazing what God is doing. In the assembly, assemblies of God alone, around the world, there's over 40 million inherents of people that, that go to assembly of God churches around the world. Around the world. 40 
40 million. It's just amazing. That's just, that's just our little, you know, fellowship. God's doing so much more in all the churches. So it's an incredible thing that we are a part of. And we wanted to define the, the church and know that you're part of, of something great. And what does it mean to be part of the church, the body of Christ? And so we understand that this is just not simply a building we come to. It's actually a movement of God. This is the church. The church is God's visible presence in the world. People who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to share the message of the gospel, his good news to us and to the world. This is the church. People who have been changed by Christ. And I am one of those individuals who have been radically changed by Jesus Christ and the message of the cross being empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm a living example of someone who was changed by Jesus Christ, not changed by religion, not changed by a denomination, but changed by the person of Jesus Christ when I was personally introduced to him in 1982, and he has forever changed my life, and I can say he's cool, and he's the best, and there's no one like him. And once you meet Jesus, there's no going back. There's nobody like him because he changes hearts. He changes destinies. He changes the road that you're on. He changes all your hurts and your pains, and he brings healing to your life like no one else can. Why? Because he's the Son of God. He is God. And so when you personally meet Jesus and you have a a face-to-face encounter with him and with his spirit, he changes you. And I will keep saying that to the day I die. I'll keep preaching that message until you have to wheel me in on a stretcher. I'll keep preaching that message that Jesus is the way. That he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes into the Father but by him. And after 30 years of serving him, I am convinced more today than I ever have been from the first time I accepted him that Jesus is the real deal. And if you're here today and you haven't experienced that, then my prayer for you is that you will. That by faith you would come to him and know that he is real. Stop trying to find him through your works or through your religion. You've got to find him by faith, by opening up your heart to him and believing that he's the way. It's that simple faith that opens the door to an incredible, incredible life with Jesus Christ. Amen? So let me just, let's just explain what we've been talking about. Just, Just to introduction here before we get to the meat of the message of what it means to be uh, part of this wonderful, wonderful family and, and, and what Paul said to these early believers. Let's just look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, because I think Paul does a great job explaining here what it actually means to be a Christian. He says this to, to his listeners, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses in our sins what did god do he made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in christ jesus so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in christ jesus for by grace you have been saved Through what? Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So our entrance into this body of Christ, Paul tells us, is completely dependent on Christ. 
It's not dependent on your religious affiliation or what religion you were born into. That has nothing to do with it. Many people associate their ethnic background with their religion. Well, if you're this, then you must be this religious background. Not at all. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with your background, your ethnic background, the way you were raised. Your entrance into Christianity has everything to do with Christ and Him alone. And so Paul describes the person that's a believer in Christ Jesus. He said, listen, we were recipients of God's mercy in Christ. Which Paul's saying here is that we were helpless before God. God in his loving mercy towards us saved us. It was God's power under control. We deserve death because of our sin. But because of his great, wonderful grace for us, he did not crush us, but he actually showed us mercy by sending us his son to die in our place. That's a pretty good deal right there. It's pretty wonderful that God could have easily crushed us, could have easily not shown us mercy, but in his mercy, he gave us his son to die for us. Paul also says for those that are in Christ, he says, we are now made alive in Christ, which Paul's saying, listen, you were dead in your sins, unable to revive yourself. And through Christ, we are now revived. We are made new. We are spiritually alive in him. And then Paul goes on to say that we're saved by grace, through faith in Christ. And God showed his favor upon us when we didn't deserve it. Faith is our complete reliance on Christ by which we obtain our salvation. We can't do it through our works or our goodness or our church attendance or as much as we think how good we are or Bible reading or all that other stuff. You cannot obtain this great salvation through works. It only comes through God's divine grace through our faith in Christ Jesus for what he's already done for us. And then Paul says, when you understand all that, when you understand that you're saved through Jesus and Jesus alone, that then we're created in Christ to do good works. We're not saved by our works. However, our works are direct results of a life that has been redeemed, that has been saved by Jesus Christ, and he changes everything. So the bottom line, what Paul is saying here, it's all about Christ. We cannot be the church Without him, he is the head of the church. He is the senior pastor of the church. We cannot function correctly as the church without Jesus Christ and obeying his words. We need to listen to Jesus and what his directives are for the church. So I want you to listen to how Jesus describes or how the scriptures describe Christ and his relationship with the church. Let me just say this. Everything we do must revolve around Jesus. Everything. Because he is the head of the church. And unless we listen to Jesus and his directives for the church, we will go wayward. We will begin to listen to man's philosophy. We'll begin to follow our own ideas and what we think is important. We'll begin to follow social ideas and think and put those above Christ. Now listen, there's a lot of good things that we can do in the world, but many times people have used the platform of the church to push their own social agenda. It's not the purpose of the church people. Now, I'm not saying that they're not important things that we do, that there's not compassion ministries, but compassion ministries must be, not, must be driven by Christ and his love for them and what he's done for them, not the other way around. We don't drive compassion ministries just to do humanitarian efforts and just say, well, this is a good thing, and then never preach Christ. Because what good is it if you feed someone but never feed their soul? What good is it if you feed someone for a day 
but their soul is not changed for eternity. So Jesus said that we must go into the whole world and preach this gospel message and doing what? Making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is our job as a church. Now with that, yes, we want to do compassion ministry. We want to reach out to people. We want to give shoes to kids in Guatemala. We want to do all those great things. But we do it with the message of Jesus Christ and what he's done for them. So everything has to revolve around Christ. So I want you to see how the scriptures describe Christ in the church. The scriptures describe Christ as the head of the church, over the church. He leads the church. The scriptures describe Jesus as the cornerstone of the church. He's the foundation of everything we believe and everything we follow. He's the savior of the church. He restores us back to God. We are no longer objects of God's wrath because of Christ. Christ is the one who grows the church. He increases the church. He gives his word and and what he desires. He's the one that allows us to grow both spiritually and spiritually numerically he's the one that does it christ is the one who loves the church and and gave himself for christ is the one who rebukes and corrects the church he tells the church what his desires are we can read that in revelation chapter 2 and 3 christ is the one who gives the church workers to complete his work he gifts us through the presence of the holy spirit that god gives each and every one of us was with special gifts that we might build up the body of christ in Jesus' name. So everything we do is not, for, is not for my glory or for my purposes, but Jesus actually gifts you. He gives you spiritual gifts that you may not just build yourself up, but ultimately Christ says, I want to use you to build up the body of Christ, to allow the, the church to be all that I desire it to be. And I want to use individuals. I want to use individuals that are just messed up that have messed up their lives like crazy. And I want to take those individuals and I want to restore them and I want to impart my spirit within those individuals and I want to use them now to do great things for me. Isn't that neat that that God takes the broken things of our past, the broken things of our lives to use them for his glory and for his purposes now? What? That's unbelievable. I love that, that we can say, listen, I used to be this. I did this. I made so many mistakes in my life, but Jesus has healed me. Jesus has redeemed me. He's forgiven me of my past. And now I take those broken things, and now I'm a trophy of God's grace, and I use those broken things to glorify God and how God can change a life and how God never gives up on us. That his love can reach through anything. His love can reach through my brokenness and my hurt and my messed up life and all my addictions. God's love can reach through all those things and can restore us to a new creation. Wow, that's the church. That's why when we come, I mean, I think that's the first thing that I, when I went into a church that was full of a bunch of born again religious wackos when i went in there i was like what is going why are people raising their hands are they asking questions they have what's what's going on here why are people so why are people clapping their hands the church i went to is you stood up you sat down you said a couple words you did you clapped your hands they were throwing you up you raised your hand they throw you out of that place no i don't know if they would or not but they probably think you're a weird it would probably stare you why are you raising and it's just something you went through now I came into this church and people were excited and I heard testimonies about people who saved them from all these crazy past and all these things that they did. And I'm like, people are actually excited about being in church. I'm like, 
this is weird. People are clapping their hands. They're singing. They're excited about being there. People would actually stay after church and talk. What? Don't you want to get in your car and be the first one out of here? That's the way it was like when I was growing up. No one hung out and just chatted. I can't get you guys out of here after church. I'm turning the lights off. I'm telling you to leave. You still don't listen to me anymore. You just love each other too much. Just cra- but you know why? Because we have something in common. We all may have different backgrounds. We all may have come from, from different situations. But when you come together as the body of Christ, and we all understand that we all had to go through the cross of Jesus Christ, and he saved us. Man, there's a bond and a fellowship that you cannot find in a civic club, any club in the world, besides the true church of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? There's a bond that we have, and there's a love that we have through Christ Jesus, that we care about each other, that we pray for each other, that we get to the, to, to the hidden things in our lives that really matter. It's not just a social club. We're part of something greater that we care for each other and say, you know what, we have problems. We all made mistakes. We all make mistakes, but we're here for each other and we want to pray for each other. And so this is all because of Christ. It all revolves around him. That's the body of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to strive for. And the last thing I want to stress to you here, who Christ is and what is Christ's relationship to the church. And this is what I want to focus on today is that Christ is the one who brings unity to the body of Christ. I think if there is one element of the church more than any other that we need to strive for, that this is one element in the church that can divide and rip the church apart if we're not careful. And this is one thing that Jesus prayed before he went to Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, before he gave his life for you and I, when he was praying before the Father, this was the one thing he prayed for the body of Christ, is that we would walk in love, that we would walk in unity, that we would care for one another. That doesn't mean we're never going to disagree, but when we become disagreeable with each other to the point where it breaks fellowship, something is wrong. We need to humble ourselves before one another. We need to ask for forgiveness for one another. And this is one of the things that Jesus emphasized amongst his disciples. And one of the things he prayed for uh, before he went to the cross is that the world would know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. Now listen. Listen. It can be very easy for us to love the world and to love the sinner and want them to come in to, to the body of Christ. But it's a terrible thing when the body of Christ, who supposedly loves Jesus Christ, can't get along. That's where we need to work on some things. And that's where I think we need to protect that bond of unity. And this is what Paul talks about. We're going to look in, in Ephesians chapter 4 where he says, listen, you need to do all you can to protect that unity, to walk in that bond of peace, that spirit of peace with each other. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we keep that unity uh, between the fellowship and between each other? And so that's what I want to focus on on today. So look at your notes there. What, what, what can be the cause of disunity w- within the church? Let me just give you a couple things that, that if we're not careful... Can, can, can get into the, 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 the back door 
of the church. I can remember when I was a, a, a children's pastor, um, I, I was a children's pastor, youth pastor, and college and career pastor at the church I, that I was in in South Carolina. I did all three, uh, all, all three ministries. It was great. I loved it. I, I really enjoyed being a kid's pastor. I've got I to gotta admit, I, I loved the kids. They just come up with the crazy things, and they were just goofy. And you'd ask them to pray for things, and you're like, I don't know if your mom and dad want me to know about that, but we'll pray for it. You know, they're just honest with you. And uh, so we had this, I had this whole ministry set up in a room of our church and it was called the holy ghost town and it was set up like an old western like a like a like an old ghost town you know you had the we had the shutters and and puppets would pop out of the windows and so it was called the holy ghost town and and we'd have a a, a guy called deputy do right that would come once a month to, to the kids, we'd give them Bible bucks when they would do their memory verse stuff, and then they could go to the general store and buy stuff once a month. You're, you're saying, that's cool, man. I wish I was part of that. That wasn't like church when I was a kid, <laughs> you know. And so they'd come once, and we'd have Deputy Deer. And I had this one guy who was just this great guy who would come and play Deputy Do Right, and um, uh, he, he was just your typical redneck southern guy, loved him to death. He literally had a red neck because he worked outside all the time, too. But he was just an easy guy. He would come in with his 10-gallon hat as Deputy Do-Right. And the first time he came in, he actually came in. Now, this is the South. He actually came in with a real gun. I don't know. I don't know anything about guns. But it was like one of these six. It was the barrel on the thing was like that. He comes in walking with his. And I'm like, the kids down South, they know better because kids drive to, you know, they have their shotguns in the back of their trucks and everything else. They pull in the school. Up here, it's like they panic. Down there, it's like big deal. Everybody hunts. It's not, it's not a big thing. Let's, everybody chill for just a little bit, okay? Chill out. So he walks in. The kids don't even care. I'm like, I'm ready to pass out. Like, that thing's not loaded, is it? No, no. It's like, well, probably a good idea we don't bring that next time, just in case we just wanted to. So he comes in, and, and, and what I would tell the kids is I would say, listen, who is the only person that we don't want in the Holy Ghost town? And they all knew because I had a wanted poster on the side of this Holy Ghost town. It was a picture of the devil. The devil. We called him El Diablo. We had a picture of the devil. And what I would teach the kids is, how is, the, how is El Diablo going to sneak into the Holy Ghost town? How do you think? Is he just going to come crashing in, riding in his horse, and going to take over the whole? And I would teach the kids the way he gets in is through our attitude. The way he gets in is when we fight with each other, right? So we want to get along because we don't want El Diablo sneaking into the Holy Ghost town. So these kids, I would drive this into the kid's head that, listen, let's be careful about the way we act and how we treat each other and how kind we are to one another because that's how we allow El Diablo into the Holy Ghost town. And we don't want him coming into this place. We want to glorify Christ through our actions, through our attitudes. And so we got to be careful because we, we may think, well, well, I'm not serving the devil. I'm not worshiping. But, but the way the enemy can, can come into the fellowship of believers is through different tactics. And he can be very sneaky in the way he does it. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be on our guard. And we've got to be careful that we don't allow the enemy to take over our attitudes to create disunity within the fellowship. So let me just give you a couple things here real quick that can cause disunity within the church. First of all, change. Change can cause disunity if we're not careful. The famous, you guys have heard this before, famous seven last words of a dying church. 
We never did it that way before. You know, that's, 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 that's true if we're not careful. And I want you to see something here. That growth causes change. It just does. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a natural... When we grow, how many know that when you grow, things change? I mean, it's just... It, it's part of nature. Just, when you grow, when the church grows, it changes. One of the, as the church grew... In the first century, it had to change, right? And, and there were some tremendous changes that went on in the first century church just because it was growing. And one of the changes was that there were so many people coming to the church that there were needs that needed to be met, met with some of the widows. And that's the reason why the whole office of deacon was created because there was problems within the church about people getting distributing food to some of the widows. And so because of that, the apostle says, we need to create this office of deacon to meet the needs and the ministry needs of the people that are in the church. Why? Because the church was growing. The church was changing. So growth causes change. Now, let me ask you a question. Do we physically always look the same? How many of you look the same as you did 20 years ago, besides Ruth Brooks? Okay, how many of you look, we change, right? We all change. Infants, right? I know this is elementary, but listen, infants turn into toddlers, right? They change, don't they? Because they're growing. Toddlers turn into Satan, right? We all know that. I'm teasing, okay? No, they, they turn into little boys and girls, right? Then boys and girls turn into teenagers, a.k.a. Satan. No, I'm just, And then teens turn into young adults, and young adults turn into adults who live with their parents in their basements, okay? So we, we you know, we all change, and adults change into seniors. Now, do you realize that you never stop growing? Even in your adult years... And I'm not talking about your waistlines, okay? You may say, well, I haven't, I haven't grown since I was 18. No, there are two things that never stop growing on an individual. You know what they are? Your nose and your ears never stop growing. Isn't that something to look forward to? They get bigger and bigger and bigger. They never stop growing. Your nose and your they keep getting bigger. Now, isn't that just, I know it's just something to look forward to. So there, there are some of you here today that some of you like change, some of you don't like change, but in order to grow, we must change. In order for Christ to grow in us, we must change. And so as we even grow in the Lord, there are things that the Lord will do in our hearts and our lives to cause change. And I'm kind of a person that doesn't always like change. I like sometimes the way the things, the way they are and just neat and tidy and blah, blah, blah. But man, you, we have to be willing to change and allow the Lord to speak into our heart if we're going to grow. So sometimes we don't want change and that can cause disunity within the church. The second thing I think is a, is a big one if we're not careful is unforgiveness or bitterness. When we're unwilling to forgive and not allowing Christ to move in our heart, or if I pick and choose who is for, uh, forgivable and who isn't, that can cause great disunity within the fellowship of the church. Hebrews 12:15 says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, 
and by it may become defiled. So we need to be careful. Resentment breeds bitterness. And we've talked about this before. Unforgiveness or bitterness is the poison we drink waiting for the other person to die. So bitterness comes from resentment. Maybe not thinking I was treated fairly, not getting my way. Maybe someone has offended us. This type of attitude, if it's not dealt with and forgiveness is not offered, can spread like a virus. And what usually we want other people to do is to feel my pain. And so what I end up doing is passing my poison and uh, on to others, which can break the spirit or the unity that Christ wants us to keep. So the way we avoid that is by offering forgiveness, not allowing, as the Hebrew writer said, allowing that root of bitterness to defile myself and to poison myself. So we've got to protect ourselves from these things. And I believe that Paul has some wonderful, wonderful insight here. So how do we keep this spirit of unity within the body of Christ that Christ so desires us to do? And so Paul has some wonderful insight here when it comes to keeping the unity in the body of Christ. And I want you to see what he says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I believe Paul has some great words here for us and the church at Ephesus that he was speaking to, but for us here today too. Listen to what Paul says. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love. And listen to what he tells them. Eager, which, which means that, that it's your ambition. Not, not just if I feel like it. He says you should be eager. You should be the first ones to do this. You should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So you're keeping the unity through the bond of peace by how you work together and how we get along and how we love each other. And this is why, he, this is why it's important because... He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. So as we start here, I want you to notice that Paul is speaking to the church. And how does the church keep its unity? Well, first of all, let me explain to you that unity must be based in God's truth, not human wisdom. It has to be based in God's truth and His Word, not what I think is important, not my human wisdom. You see, the issue is we live in a very relative world, a world that is full of moral relativism. We hold that in high esteem in our world, which means we make up our own moral rules apart from God's word. Moral relativism says, I live by my own moral code. We hear words like tolerance and diversity. They're very popular today. They're very PC. And these are, these are worldly words that are used to try to keep us in unity with everyone. Here's where I want to be careful. They sound nice and all-inclusive, but are they correct in the light of Scripture? For the sake of unity, are we to give up on truth? Okay, so the Bible tells us that we are to walk in truth and love as believers of Jesus Christ. Now, for some people, they may define that differently. How do we do this correctly? That's the hard part. Because either we come off judgmental, right? 
We come off as bigots and judgmental and narrow-minded. And the church many times is not seen as loving and accepting. So words like tolerance and diversity are really politically nice and politically correct. But are they correct in the light of Scripture? For the sake of unity, we do not throw caution to the wind. For the sake of unity, we do not throw caution to the wind. I want you to notice what Paul is saying here. Listen to me closely, people. What Paul is saying is this. He says our unity has to be based in oneness, not individualism. When you come into the family of God, you are not your own anymore. You've been bought with a price through Jesus Christ, and now we do His bidding. Okay, that's the problem that can slip in because we all want to be individuals and we all want to say, well, well, you know, I'm a snowflake. We're all taught this, aren't we? You're a snow. We're all taught when we're little kids. You're a snowflake. You're an individual. You're so cute and everything's special about you. So whatever you blah, 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 blah. Okay. the problem is when we bring that ideal into the body of Christ, we're going to have everybody want to do whatever they want to do because I'm an individual and I want to go this way. No, that's not the way it happens. We need to listen to Christ. And the way we keep unity within the body of Christ is going through God's truth first. And there has to be oneness. It's not individualism. Not whatever you think is important. Our unity must be based in the oneness of Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul says. Paul says if we're going to keep the spirit of peace within the body of Christ, if we're going to keep this unity alive within the body of Christ, you need to understand there is only one body. We are all members of the same body. We might be separated by local body of believers, but ultimately we are one body under who? Jesus Christ. So we need to listen to what he has to say. We need to obey his words on certain matters. That's how we keep the unity. He says there's one spirit. It is one spirit that dwells within the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit. We have one hope, Paul says. We all share the same future hope of eternity, of heaven, when we put our faith in Christ Jesus. He says there's one Lord. We all owe our allegiance to Christ, to him and him alone. One Lord, not many lords. We don't serve Jesus and then serve this person and that person and the other. We have one Lord. He says we have one faith. It is by this faith, through grace, that we are saved. He said there's one baptism. Through water baptism, we identify with Christ through his death and resurrection. There's not a Lutheran baptism. There's not a a Baptist baptism. Baptism. There's not a Methodist baptism. There's not an assembly of God baptisms. There's one baptism. Through Christ Jesus, we identify with him and his death and resurrection. And then he says there's one God. Our God is found in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So our unity must be based in who Christ is and his teachings to the church. Otherwise, we will follow our own ideas And this gets us into trouble. And there are some religious groups, for the sake of unity, accept everything to be all-inclusive of everyone to try to make everyone happy. But is that what God is telling us through his word? No. Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes into the Father but by me. 
That's a very inclusive statement. But God is very inclusive of everyone. Jesus is exclusive in the way he is, that there's only one way to the Father. But he's, God is very uh, inclusive on whoever comes to him can be saved through Jesus Christ. So we need to be careful that we're just not accepting everything for the sake of unity. That's really not unity at all. That's really disunity because we're trying to make everybody happy. So in order to find peace and unity within the church, we need to understand that we are all one in Christ Jesus and we must follow Jesus's wisdom and his words to the church. So Paul gets real practical here in chapter 4. He says, well, how do we keep this? If we understand that we are one body, one baptism, one Lord, everything revolves around Christ Jesus and his teachings, that's who's part of the church. If we understand we keep that unity and we keep that in the forefront of our thinking, then how does that practically look in my life? Well, Paul goes on to say in chapter 4, he says, listen, how do we keep the oneness in the church? Well, this is how you do it. First of all, with all humility, this is how you keep it, which basically Paul is saying, don't think too highly of yourself with all humility towards one another. Don't consider yourself better than another person. Humble yourself before the Lord and you'll be serving each other and that will keep the unity because you're not looking out for yourself and your interests. You're looking out for others in the body of Christ to do whatever lifts them up. Very important. He says not only with all humility, but he says also with all gentleness. He says be considerate to one another. This is gentleness basically is, is controlled strength. You might have the power to crush and humiliate someone, but you don't. And that's exactly what God is with us. God is gentle through his grace. He has every right to crush us, but he didn't. That's his grace towards us. But he saved us instead by giving us his son and allowing his wrath to be poured out on his son instead of us. That's God's grace and gentleness. He says, Paul said, if you want to keep that unity within the body of Christ, then you've got to walk in humility there's got to be a gentleness to your spirit, a consideration, having that strength under control where you could crush someone, but you decide not to. That's gentleness. Paul also says in this chapter, he says that we need to be patient. This is the ability not to avenge wrongs. You know, the old saying, I don't get mad, I get even type thing. He's saying be patient with one another. Be considerate. To one another. And, and he goes a little further where he says, not only being patient, but bearing with one another in love. And this word bearing literally means to put up with, being patient with others' idiosyncrasies. How many of you have to put up with your spouse's idiosyncrasies? How many of us have idiosyncrasies in our lives? You got little quirks. That are just weird. I know some of you got some quirks. We all got quirks, don't we? I've got some quirks in my life. Okay, we all got little idiosyncrasies that may not necessarily be sin. They're just weird little things in your life that you like things done a certain way. And you don't understand why everybody else doesn't think the way you think. Have you ever wondered that way? Let me just, I gotta, I gotta just share one thing with you. Here's one of my idiosyncrasies. When I'm driving down 490 or 390, okay, I've got to get, because I have a problem with just drivers, okay? And there's three lanes. 
You know what drives me crazy? Not only when people take slow right-hand turns, I have no, is when people are in the passing lane and they're going slow and they've got two open lanes here and they refuse to move over. So here's my, here's my idiosyncrasy. I'm driving and they're going slow in the, in the passing lane and I'm in the middle lane and I'll drive by Kathleen gets so mad at me. When she knows I'm going to do it, she'll say, Barden, don't look at them. Just keep going straight. Maybe somebody from church. I go, I hope it is somebody from church. I'll run them off the road and say, will you get over? Make room for everybody else. You know, there's actually a law in England when I was in England on a couple of mission trips that you got to get right over. You cannot stay in the pass lane. If you're going slow, you got to get right over. I'm like, man, why don't they make that a law? Because it just would make my life a lot easier. So we all have our little quirks. I've got my problems with, with driving, okay, and other people driving. So I have to admit, I made a bad mistake driving the other day, and I was like, I didn't see someone making a... I, I have this blind spot with my mirror on my car. So I'm at a four-way stop. I'll look to the right, and it looks like when the first car is there, it looks like there's nobody there. So I'll just pull out because my mirror, my rear view mirror blocks, for some reason, the way my height of my head is, blocks that first car at the four-way stop. And I don't know how many times in the four-way corner of 350 and Ridge Road I have pulled out and not notice someone coming across. Cause it just, so now I've got to remind myself to look under the mirror to make sure. And I didn't do it the other day. And someone came down. And it was like a parent of somebody that I knew from the school. And I'm looking at them going, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please, because I know how you feel. Because you're looking at me the same way I look at all the other drivers. So please forgive me. I'm sorry. So I need a little grace. I need patience. Bear with me in love, please. Okay. So that's what Paul's saying. We need to bear. We're all going to. Want things done a certain. We all have our little idiosyncrasies, but it's it's like how how do we get along through those things? Are we bearing with one or in, lo- in bearing with one another in love? The little habits, the irritating mannerism. Are we doing that? So the question is, the question is, how do we work through our differences without beating each other up? How do we do that? It's so difficult without getting into arguments or things that divide the church and stuff. Because usually what divides the church is not doctrinal issues. It's not. I'm just going to be 22 years of doing this. Very rarely have I seen a church split over doctrinal issues. Very rarely. Usually what it is, is it's over these idiosyncrasies, preferences, things that we just don't agree with. That's usually... What happens? So how do we do that? How do we get along with each other when we don't necessarily see eye to eye and, 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 and not being each other? Well, I want to I look into something, and I want you to understand this about our church. And this is something that I want to stress to you as, as the pastor of this church and something that, that, that I'm, I'm, I think is very important that we need to understand as, as a body of believers to help us to walk in unity so that we don't get off on tangent issues that can divide the church and, and easily shipwreck us down, down an avenue that, that God doesn't want to take us down. So let, let, me, there, there, let me explain it this way. There are things in our church that we have an open hand to 
And there are issues in our church that we're going to be close-handed on. Okay, so let me just explain. So, so if anybody has questions about different things about what we believe and why we believe those things, I'm going to tell you right now, because somebody, people, somebody will always get me in a corner and say, Pastor, what do you think about this? And they try to, they're all hyper about it. It usually comes at certain times of the year, certain events that people celebrate or don't celebrate, and they'll get me in the corner and say, well, Pastor, what do you think about this? I don't think we should be doing this. I don't think, but you're writing emails, and they're all hyper about this. And if they only knew that the question they asked me, I've gotten a thousand times before from somebody else, and, and what I try to explain to anyone that has those things, I'm going to say that we're going to have open-hand issues about things and we're going to have closed-hand issues about things. And let me explain to you what I mean about that because I think if we understand this process, it will help us to keep the unity within the church and not allow us to self-destruct. So this will help us to stand firm on the things that we need to stand firm on and to be gracious on the things that we need to be gracious on. Now, these are things... Let me just explain. These are things that are essential and things that are not essential when it comes to the person of Christ and his gift of salvation to us. Gary Brashear is just a wonderful Bible scholar. I love the way he explains this in a book that he wrote, and I, and I appreciate what he says here. Let me explain to you what he says here. He says, we need to differentiate in what is truly essential from what is merely controversial. Let me explain to you what I mean. He gives different levels to these things. The first level is the things that cover truth and which we would be willing to die for as a church. And let me explain to you what those things are. If you knowingly deny these things, it would show that we would be outside the realm of orthodox Christianity, perhaps excluded from the salvation of Christ. So let me explain what these are. These will be close-handed issues. These are things we are never going to debate about in our church. These are just truths that we're going to hold on to, and we're never going to debate about them. This would include Jesus' divinity, which would him being God. Because right there, that's what you can separate a cult from true Orthodox Christianity, is whether or not they believe that Jesus is God. He's not lesser than God. He is God, part of the threefold trinity. So that's something that we are close-handed about, the divinity of Christ. We are close-handed in that Jesus is the only way to God. And the reason why we believe that is because scriptures tell us that. Another close-handed issue would be the teaching of heaven and hell. These are issues that have come up lately in the last year about these certain teachings. Is there a literal hell? Is there a little heaven? Yes, we believe that. The Bible teaches that. These are closed-handed issues that we need to be careful about because some of these things are being watered down and being taken out of context from the Word of God and getting a whole different spin on some of these teachings. We're going to be closed-handed on God's judgment on sin. God will judge sin one day. And that for those that are outside the grace of God and outside the knowledge of who Christ is and what he did. We're outside of that saving knowledge and grace. That's why we need to depend on Christ. Because without that, what we're basically saying is, Jesus, is your, your death on the cross was really meaningless. There was a reason why he died on the cross. 
There was a purpose for why he died a substitutionary death for you and I. It was to take care of our sin issue. The biggest issue that faces man is sin. That's it. That's the issue. And unless that issue is addressed, we've got a problem. And Jesus addressed that issue of sin by dying for that sin on the cross, by taking upon his sinless body. He did it for us. So by us putting our faith in him, God's judgment is no longer placed upon me. We are saved by his grace in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's the good news. That's the whole gospel message. So we're not going to change on that. We're not going to change on the virgin birth or the resurrection of Christ or salvation through grace by faith alone, Christ alone, faith alone, Scripture alone. These were the very things that the Reformation were built on. So this is that these are things we will never, ever, ever debate on as a body of Christ. Why? Because if you debate on any one of these things, it takes away from the salvation that we have in Christ. If you make Jesus lesser than God, then his work on the cross was really meaningless. He was just another man that, that did great things, but he wasn't God. So Jesus never gave us any other option there. The reason why he died on the cross was for blasphemy, claiming to be God himself. So we're not going to change in those. Now, there's a second level. These are things that we would divide for. But we can still be part of the family of God and be brothers and sisters in Christ Yet, yet not because uh, we may not be part of the same fellowship, but these are maybe just things that we, might, we may not agree on, but it's not, not necessarily something that we're closed-fisted about. We may have different ideas when it comes to worship styles. Maybe there are some churches that are more liturgical, meaning the pastor may wear a robe, or maybe they just play an organ. This doesn't mean that one is better than another. If Christ is exalted, the Word of God is given priority and salvation is preached, then different styles can be different. That's okay. Amen? So as long as Christ is exalted being preached and we don't take away from any of those things we die for, we're going to have different styles of worship. That's okay to have that. Some people may want things in a church and, and some people may want other things and, and, and our church obviously isn't everybody's cup of tea. That's fine. As long as Christ is being exalted, salvation is being preached, people are getting saved, amen to that. And so we need to be careful that I'm not being driven by my preferences, that we're being driven by the Word of God. We may have a different way on our styles of worship, so on and so forth. That's fine. But if we take away from the person of Christ and who He is, those are things that we're closed-fisted about. The third level, Gary brings up, is things that we debate for. And here's where we need to be careful. Because we may have different theological slants on certain things. Let me give an example. Like end times. This is a big, hot issue. What's going to happen in end times? Some people think, well, is Jesus going to come back before the tribulation? Is Jesus going to come back after the tribulation? Is, uh, you know, what, what, what are going to... And, well, I believe this, and I've got all my scriptures... And then somebody else on the other side has got all their scriptures. I think, you know what? I believe in the pan theory. It's all going to pan out at the end, okay? Jesus wins. He comes back. He's victorious. And we'll all live with him. There's my end time theology. Everybody say amen. amen. Okay, so whatever you believe about those things, I've got my opinions about those things. And I'm right about them, but I've got my opinions about those. You may have your opinions about those and you're wrong, but that's okay. We, let's not cause it to rip apart or become 
uh, to create disunity within the church. And some people will get on these bandwagons and they'll ride into town and look at this path and they'll create these disunity and little factions within the church of pre-rapture people. And then you got the post-rapture people over here and you know, we're behind the wall shooting at each other and sending each other emails and, oh, look at what this guy... Stop it! Stop it. Right now. Stop it. Okay? Because what begins to happen is it creates disunity within the body. And I've seen this over the years. It happens and you think, Pastor, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. So let's be, we can debate over these things, but I can still put my hand around my brother and say, brother, you believe in that. It has nothing to do with salvation. It's not essential to your salvation. You believe that that's good, good for you, okay? And I still love you, and we can get along, and we can move on with our love for, for, for Jesus Christ. So it can be things like end times. It can be things like, like the teaching of eternal security. Pastor, can someone actually lose their salvation, or are they eternally secure? These are questions that get bounced back and forth to me all the time. Pastor, what do you think? I've got my opinions about these things, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. Once again, I've got my opinions about what I believe about that. Once again, I'm right and you're wrong, but that's okay. Okay, I've got my opinions about these things, and I will share. This is what I will teach on this. But once again, it's not essential to salvation. These are things we can debate about. So if you believe a certain way, that's fine. You can still be my brother and I love you, but this is the way I'm going to teach it at our church. And I won't teach it dogmatically, but I will teach it by the way I feel is being shown in the word of God. But that doesn't mean that we disqualify each other as brothers in the Lord and sisters in the Lord. Everybody said, amen. Same thing about teachings of of the Holy Spirit, even though we can debate and have dialogue about these issues, let, let, may it never break us in fellowship. These issues are not deal breakers, and they are not essential to salvation. And so we've got to be careful that we're doing everything, that we're doing everything that creates the spirit of unity. This Indian proverb says there's no point of, of giving a man a rose to smell after you cut off his nose. Okay, so let's, let's be careful here. So listen, divisive people are the ones who consistently want to debate and bicker over lower level issues. Avoid those people like the plague. If you know somebody and they just want to just debate and debate and have arguments with you about things, you know what? There's something within that person's spirit that something's going on and they're wrestling with things and they just like to be controversial for the sake of being controversial. Let's be careful because you know what? That can be a poison within your life. And what I've seen happen in many churches and local fellowships, you get people that will band around one certain issue that's not essential to salvation, and they all band together and they'll say, Well, we need to talk about this more. We need to do this. And what, blah, blah, blah. And what they begin to do is they begin to form factions within the church that can easily, Satan can easily, with all good intention, Satan can easily use that. And manipulate that to bring discord within the body of Christ. And so what Paul is saying here, we need to be eagerly doing everything that brings unity and peace to the body. 
eagerly doing that. So on these side issues that you may be very passionate, and I'm, I'm in the camp. There's some things that I'm just passionate about that are debatable things within the family of God that I'm passionate about, but may it never cause us to break fellowship. And so some things we just need to leave alone. That's why I'm very careful as a pastor preaching on controversial things all the time that are not essential to salvation. What is our main job as a church? Is to see people one into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. That's our job. We don't want to put any stumbling block in front of people. So I will preach some things and I will say, hey, these are things that I think are important. These are things that I'm going to have, but I'm not dogmatic on these things, but these are some things. When we become dogmatic on those non-essential issues is when it brings disunity within the body of Christ. And Paul says, eagerly do everything that leads to that mutual edification. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So listen, I, I, I'm, I'm going to pray, and, and we're going to go into, into communion. And here, here's, here's, here's what communion is all about. Jesus said when you, when you take communion, when he took communion with, or when he took that last supper with his, with his disciples, and when he broke the bread and he gave them the cup, he told them, I want you to do this. Every time you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me and what I've done for you. And every time we take communion, it's really communion. We're becoming one through Christ Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, do not take communion in an unworthy manner, which means this. If you have ought in your heart, if you have bitterness in your heart, if you are at ought with another brother or sister in the family of God, he goes, you make that right before you take communion. Make sure that you examine your heart and life. Because if I take communion in an unworthy manner, what I'm literally doing is mocking what Christ did for us. And if I'm unwilling to forgive like Christ forgave, then I'm taking communion in an unworthy manner. And Paul even said, that's why there are some that are sick amongst you. He wasn't playing. And so what, what the Lord is telling us today, people, is this. Let's not just come to the Lord's table and say, okay, it's time we take communion. We understand that it's cup represents Jesus' blood and the bread represents Jesus' body. No, what I want you to do today is when we come to the Lord's table, I want you to examine your heart. And if there is something in there that you know is causing disunity within the body of Christ, or you have ought with somebody that you you know you need to go to to offer forgiveness or ask forgiveness, let me tell you, go do it. And if, if, if you don't take communion today, then guess what? I will, I will respect you for that because you're honoring Christ because you want to make that right first. But as we take communion, just say, God, listen, grab a hold of my heart. Please forgive me of my ought for my brother or my sister. And Lord, take those things that I know are ungodly or not of you and please forgive them. Lord, I give them to you and so that I can take communion with a clear mind and a clear conscience, knowing that I'm pleasing you and you will be honoring Christ. And by doing that, what you literally do is bring unity to the body of Christ, that Christ is exalted through its members. Amen. So let's be careful, 
right? Let's, let's do everything. That doesn't mean that we give in to sin or we, we just throw caution to the wind and we accept whatever comes down the pike. That's not what I'm saying. We need to stand firm for truth and the truth of God's word. But let's make sure that we're standing for the right thing, that we're standing for Christ, that we're speaking the truth in love, that we're building each other up, that our relationships are correct before the Lord. That's what Jesus cares about. And when that happens, there's great, great unity that happens within the body. Christ is exalted and his church grows. Amen? So it's all about relationships and working through those things in the correct way that Christ desires us to do. Amen? So I want you to bow your hearts and I want to pray and... uh, And we'll enter into this time of communion today. Lord, we love you today. And Lord, we need you. Lord, we need your love today. We need your forgiveness today. And we can't do it without you. And Lord, we pray today that God, you would just minister to every heart. That Lord, if there is anything in our heart that needs forgiveness, that that needs to offer forgiveness, that we would do it, that we would not take communion in an unworthy manner today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just do your work that you need to do today. That, Jesus, you would prepare our hearts today. We thank you and we remember what you did for us. So, Lord, may we do everything. May we be eager to keep those bonds of peace, that we would be eager to allow the Spirit of God to dwell in us and to live through us, that you might be exalted in our midst. And we thank you, Jesus. We love you today. For anyone here that has never reached out to Christ, I thank you, Lord, that anyone that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I pray they would just call upon your name today and that you would save them, God. You would bring your forgiveness to them today, Lord, as they reach out to you and ask for forgiveness. Cleanse us anew and afresh today as we give our lives to you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our midst, what you're doing in our body. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is what we're going to do. The ushers are going to come forward. We're going to show you a quick video about communion, and I just want you to prepare your hearts as we show this to you now as the ushers come and they prepare you for communion. God bless you. Amen. Go ahead and look at the screens. Amen. Okay, we don't have that. Okay, that's okay. The ushers are going to come. Amen. The the teams. We had a. We've got a great intro video to communion. Maybe we'll show it to you next month uh, as we get that prepared for you. But the worship team's going to lead us in uh, in song. So let's just worship. Let's just worship the Lord as as they lead us in song today. As the ushers uh, serve you communion, we're going to take communion together as a family at the end. So just wait to the end. And uh, we'll take communion together. So God bless you as they serve you today. Amen.
bow our hearts before you this morning. We hold in our hand the bread, God, that that you held in your hand so many years ago and you said, this bread, it's symbolic of my body which will be broken for you. Lord, we know that there was a sacrifice that had to be paid. And for that, we're grateful. Jesus, we know that you're the bread of life. Lord, whoever comes and eats of you, Lord, will never be hungry again. So I pray that you would satisfy every soul that's here today as we recognize your sacrifice, as we recognize your body that was literally given for us. Lord, we know that, God, you took the whips for us. You wore the, 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 the crown of thorns on your head for us, God. We know that you bled. We know that you suffered for us. And that was the result of our sin you took upon yourself and judgment you placed upon yourself. For that, we're grateful. And I pray, Lord, you would bring healing to every individual here today. Lord, we know that that every individual here, Lord, you you will empower with your Holy Spirit. But, Lord, we make one body, individuals who make up one body. And when one hurts, we all hurt. So, God, I pray that you would give us a mindset of unity, that everything we would do, Lord, would... Would, do to, would, would be done to honor you and to glorify you and to lift up each other, Lord. So, God, may we just walk in that union today as we, as we lift your name up. So we thank you for this bread and what it symbolizes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Amen. And Lord, we thank you for this cup. Lord, we know that your word says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. So, Lord, we honor you today, and we thank you for your precious blood that was poured out for us. Lord, we know because of this blood there's healing, there's forgiveness, there's protection, and I pray that you would cover us anew and afresh, that you would wash us white as snow. Lord, I pray that forgiveness would flow, healing would flow in this this place today, that for anyone that's coming to this place with a heavy conscience, with guilt that's been loaded up upon their life because of their past. I pray that they would come to Christ and they would find that forgiveness. And that for those that are in Christ Jesus, there is no more guilt or condemnation upon our lives because we are now forgiven. So Lord, bring that freedom today to every heart and every soul in this place. So we thank you. Thank you for what this cup symbolizes. Thank you for your precious blood. Without your sacrifice, we could have never found forgiveness. So thank you for taking our place. Thank you for taking on the weight of, of, of that judgment that should have been placed upon us. And we're grateful for that today. And Lord, just bind us together, this body of believers, with cords that cannot easily be broken. So I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body. I thank you for every individual. I thank you for the healing that you bring each and every day. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the cup today. Amen. 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 Let's stand together today. Amen. I want you to grab the hand of the person next to you. Let's just pray for uh, just God to bind us together today. Let's just let's just join hands today and ask God just to do a great work in our church today. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this church, Lord. And... Um, God, I thank you that, Lord, each and every one of us have issues. And, Lord, we, we all struggle with certain things. But, Lord, I thank you for your love. 
Your love is what binds us together. And I pray that your love would so envelop our hearts and our lives, Lord, that, God, you would be glorified in our midst. We pray for that person on our right and on our left, Lord. We thank you for their lives. Whatever they're going through, God, I pray that you would bring healing to them and that your forgiveness would flow, Lord. God, I just pray for our church. You've got great and mighty things in store for our church. You're not done with living word just yet, Lord. And so, God, you use people. And so, Lord, our hearts have to be right before you. Our hearts have to be prepared before you to do what you've called us to do. So, Lord, bind us together, Lord. Bind us together, Lord, with cords that cannot easily be broken. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. I love this church, Lord. Jesus, you love this church, and you gave your life for it. And so, God, I just pray that we would go forward now with a new sense of purpose and a new sense of belonging, that we belong, that, Jesus, you accept us, that it's by your grace we're saved today. So, Lord, just may not one person walk out of this church feeling alone or not part of this body, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for the comfort that you bring us each and every day. And we give you the glory. We give you our lives anew and afresh. We give you this body of believers. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. God is good. Amen. Amen. Listen, if any of you need prayer today, uh, you can come down to the front. We'd love to pray with you about anything that you're going through. Otherwise, go in God's grace. Amen. Have a wonderful day. God bless you guys. Oh, oh, so I can see, oh, oh.